Let's go back to the book of Jeremiah. We're almost done with it. We're in some of the most interesting part of it. In fact, for us, I, I think it is very much that way. Uh, there are several chapters before we get into 50 which are burdens against various peoples. We went through those. Uh, the enemies, the Gentile nations who are against Israel, and then in verse 39 of chapter 49, it talks about the latter days. So the focus of these prophecies is today and the time just ahead of just before us. Uh, chapter 50 starts talking about the Chaldeans and the destruction of Babylon. Now, I spent some little time when we got down last time to verse 23, talking about the hammer of the whole earth. And if you try to define who the hammer of the earth is today, there's only one nation, one people, one government, especially the government, that comes to mind. And that is the United States government. Now, you can go back to Revelation 17 and 18, and see very clearly that when Babylon falls in the end time, and that's what Revelation is all about, not some ancient history, that it is an economic empire. It is a nation of business people and merchants who have made the whole earth rich. So it's not a church, but an economic empire, powerhouse. And it says here, with the hammer of the whole earth. I just read that in the April 17th issue of the New Yorker magazine, there's an article that outlines the battle plan that the Bush administration is making against Iran. And that part of that plan is nuclear. They want to make a big splash. And I don't think they intend to destroy Iran, but they may set off a small nuclear device or two or three or five or whatever they have planned, I don't know. But I think that there is some forethought in that. The, the object, apparently, or the stated object, is to get rid of terrorism. And yet, can you imagine how angry the rest of the Islamic world would be if we dropped one small nuclear bomb on Iran. Now, what's our issue with them? We don't want them to have nuclear weapons to either protect themselves or to use against us. So the whole flap is about nuclear, even though the basis of it's oil and the dollar being protected from the euro. But since we have made such a pointed issue of them not having nuclear, and then we use nuclear on them, can you imagine the outrage? Look at the outrage that came from one little cartoonist in Denmark who drew a few cartoons belittling the Islamic religion. Think of the outrage that would come if we use. Don't you think those people in Washington are smart enough to know that? That that, if that's the way they do it, is part of the plan? Because their purpose is to sell out the American people, remove our borders, destroy our sovereignty, take us into slavery, 
so that the new world order and the one world government can come in. So if we nuke Iran, it is with a backdoor plan in mind, and that is that they come after us. Count on it. Now, I think I established in the Babylon series, and most of it is now on the Internet, that America is indeed leader of Babylon today. But this is the Babylon being discussed here in chapter 50 and 51 that will be destroyed. Revelation 18, as well as a place in, I think it's Isaiah, says that Babylon has fallen, is fallen, falls twice, and I believe that the fall of the U.S. government, who is the present leader of Babylon and a king of the north, will be destroyed, and that will be the fall of Babylon. But then a new leader of Babylon, a new king of the north, will supplant the present king of the north. And they will be the ones then whom Christ will deal with, but they will be the ones who destroy us. They, in turn, will then be destroyed by Christ himself. But Babylon falls twice. You know, when, when a king takes over another kingdom, he becomes the king of that kingdom. But when somebody takes over America, then they become the king of America and the king of all Babylon because it will be a world-ruling empire. So even though Babylon was considered a king of the north from, north, from the perspective of Israel, uh, when it says that Babylon will be destroyed in verse 3 here, it says, for out of the north there comes up a nation against her, which shall make her land desolate. So a king of the north destroys another king of the north. And then it says, people will ask the way to Zion with their faces pointed that way and saying, let's join to God in perpetual covenant. Verse 5, he talks about how God's people have gone astray. So this is talking about the church as well as all Israel ultimately will departed from God, but primarily first the church. Now they've gone from mountain to hill, smaller and smaller groups. Tells us in verse 8 to get out of the middle of Babylon and go forth out of the land of the Chaldeans, be as the he-goats before the flock, because an assembly of great nations from the north shall set themselves in array against her. We'll get a little later, and I'll show you some scriptures about who that assembly of great nations will be. They are the destroyers of God's heritage try to destroy the church. Um, he's given her hand, verse 15. I think that they're making a deal behind the scenes for America to go away. And that's part of the sovereignty issue with the Mexican invasion from across the border. Those people intend, fully intend, to destroy the sovereignty of America. They plan to take back California, Arizona, New Mexico, and Colorado originally part of Mexico before we took it from them. They plan on insurrection. They plan on destroying us. There are a lot of folks with plans to destroy us. And we have given our hand. The administration in Washington has opened the borders knowing what these people plan to do have deliberately open the borders and let them come flooding in. And now they want to give them amnesty. And then the ones that come in after that can expect amnesty too. 
This is a deliberate undermining of this country and its peoples. Verse 17, Israel is a scattered sheep. God says in verse 20, I will pardon them whom I reserve. In verse 23, I think is about where we left off last time. I went, I think, back into Revelation 17 and 18. showed how it was a merchant thing and an economic power and also a military power. It is the hammer of the whole earth. And we hammer on anyone we wish to hammer on. How is the hammer of the whole earth cut asunder and broken? Have the economic side of it. We're about to crash economically. How has Babylon become a desolation among the nations? I have laid a snare for you, and you were also taken, O Babylon, and you were not aware. The vast majority of Americans today feel like they're safe, that Homeland Security, what a joke, or whoever, will take care of us. Those people want to make security for themselves. They care or could care less about security for you and me. they knew what I was saying today, I would be far less secure than I am before I said these things. And I don't doubt it'll get back to them. That's okay. God will take care of us. I'm worried about it. The truth is truth. This nation is going down. God has laid a snare. Most of the American people are totally unaware of what is coming. Unaware. Now, those who are doing it to us are very aware. You are found and also caught because you have striven against the eternal. We as a people, we as a government, have striven against God. Not obeyed God. Protestant America is not Christian. Call themselves Christian, but they're not. Just like the Pharisees called themselves the sons of Abraham. Well, by blood they were. But by attitude and obedience to God, they weren't. This nation isn't either. Verse 25, the eternal has opened his armory and has brought forth the weapons of his indignation, for this is the work of the eternal God of hosts in the land of the Chaldeans. This isn't just something the Assyrians or the Islamics are doing. This is something God is doing to us with clouds. He is responsible for seeking them on us because he is seeking the rod of his anger. Come against her from the utmost border upon her storehouses. Cast her up as heaps, piles of rubble, in other words. Knock her flat and destroy her utterly. Let nothing of her be left. This will be total destruction of our country by people who hate us with a passion. Slay all her bullocks. Let them go down to the slaughter. Woe to them, for their day is come, the time of their visitation. The voice of them that flee and escape out of the land of Babylon to declare in Zion the vengeance of the Lord our God, the vengeance of his temple. There are going to be those who flee out of the midst of Babylon, as instructed in verse 8 and other places, and they will declare in Zion the vengeance of God and of his temple 
which they're going to try to destroy. Well, this is about the church of God. We're not going to Petra, we're going to Zion. Call together the archers against Babylon. All you that bend the bow, camp against it round about. Let none thereof escape. Recompense her according to her work, according to all that she has done. Do to her. We have misused and abused people around the world, pounded on them, banged on them, bombed them, destroyed them economically through sanctions. We've done to them whatever we wished. We've been in that position. God says, bring it all back on us. For she has been proud against the eternal, against the Holy One of Israel. One fork, one fork of her tongue claims allegiance to God. With the other fork of her tongue, she worships Baal. That's our country today. God is only a figment of the imagination. What does God do with the proud? He resists the proud. God hates pride. All of us have pride. Our pride must be completely wiped out and destroyed, whatever kind of pride we happen to have. Got to go away. Therefore shall her young men fall in the streets, and all her men of war shall be cut off in that day, says the Eternal. Pride comes before a fall, and we are a proud nation, proud people, proud of America. We sing songs about it. They sell millions of them. Behold, I am against you, O you most proud, says the eternal God of hosts. Who is the proudest nation on earth today? Make a checklist. Go through the different nations in your mind. Who blusters with great pride how wonderful they are? And the most proud, three times he says it. There's a lot of emphasis there. Pride and then most proud twice. Shall stumble and fall, and none shall raise him up. I will kindle a fire in his cities. God tells us in Micah 4 to leave the city, go dwell in the field. Some will obey that, some will not. Some will be devoured in the fire that comes through all our cities. Now, you may or may not agree with me that this Babylon is America today. Well, if that shoe doesn't seem to fit your foot, try on the other shoe, and that is all the scriptures that say Israel is going to be destroyed in the end time, and all her cities destroyed. So if you don't like the prognosis for Babylon, try the prognosis for Israel. See how you come out that way look any better? Thus says the eternal of hosts, verse 33, the children of Israel and the children of Judah were oppressed together, and all that took them captives held them fast. They refused to let them go. We are being oppressed by an unconstitutional or a government that will not follow the American Constitution today. And anarchy is going to break out at some point because of oppression. They've held us captive. 
We as a church have been held captive for approximately 70 years in this Babylon of confusion around us. And you're finding that coming out of it is very, very difficult. Every one of us resisted because there are elements of this culture and this society around us that we hold dear. We have trouble standing loose. I know. I've said that before. You're used to it. These are the words of Jeremiah thundering to us. To hear and heed, not just hear and say, that's old hat, I've heard that before. Well, yeah, we've heard it before. What are we going to do about it? They refuse to let us go. Isaiah 52 says to break that yoke off our neck. Sit up. Quit being tramped upon by the culture and society around us. The Redeemer is strong. The Lord of hosts is his name. The only way we're going to get away from, out of, and Babylon and get it out of our lives, hearts, and minds is through our divine Redeemer, Jesus Christ. That's where you have to turn. He's the only one who has the power, the strength, the knowledge, the understanding to help us out. If he's our redeemer, then he has to redeem us from something, doesn't he? Sin and society of Satan that we live in. He shall thoroughly plead their cause that he may give rest to the land and disquiet the inhabitants of Babylon. But God is going to help his redeemed. Who are the ones that have been redeemed? Just the church. We've been called out of this world. We are the called out ones. We are the ones who have redemption offered to us. The only ones he is seeking to redeem at the moment, and he's going to disquiet the inhabitants of Babylon who have held us in captivity. Want another side proof that Babylon is the USA? Where are most of the redeemed? The called out ones, right here in America. Ninety some percent of them dwelling in Babylon. A sword is upon the Chaldeans, says the Eternal, and upon the inhabitants of Babylon, and upon her princes, and upon her wise men. So God is going to send a sword upon those people who are selling us out to the New World Order. A sword is upon the liars. They're lying to us. They tell us out of one side of their mouth they're trying to protect us, and at the same time they're selling us out. They're lying. A sword is upon her mighty men, and they shall be dismayed. Those who think that they are protecting themselves and making themselves secure, God is going to send the sword upon them. A sword is upon their horses and upon their chariots. Our military is going to be confused and destroyed. And upon all the mingled people that are in the midst of her. What is the nation that has been proud of being a mingled people in the world today? China? Russia? Germany? America stands out. Give me your tired, your poor, your teeming masses, free, or whatever it is, striving to breathe free. Right there on the Masonic Statue of Liberty. 
Now we are inviting them in by the millions and millions by opening up our borders, giving lip service to building fences while we let them pass by. So it's going to come upon the mingled people that are in the midst of her, and they shall become as women. A sword is upon her treasures, and they shall be robbed. The people who thought that they could find sanction and liberty and hope in the American dream by coming here are going to be destroyed as well. The drought is upon her waters. They shall be dried up, for it is the land of graven images, and they are mad upon their idols. We have mad, passionate love for our idols, whatever they might be. Therefore the wild beasts of the desert with the wild beasts of the island shall dwell there, and the owls shall dwell therein, and it shall be no more inhabited forever, neither shall it be dwelt in from generation to generation, as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, and the neighbor city Zerob, says the Eternal, so shall no man abide there, neither shall any son of man dwell therein. Now this isn't a, prophet, a prophecy against ancient Babylon. This is a prophecy for the latter days. This is a modern Babylon. Revelation 18.4 makes it very clear. Revelation is not about ancient history. Revelation is about the future and prophecy. So the Babylon that's talked about here is going to be completely destroyed. Now there's nothing where ancient Babylon was either at this point. They're trying to make a tourist trap out of it. But the modern Babylon goes down as well. Verse 30, 41, Behold, a people shall come from the north, and a great nation, and many kings shall be raised up from the coasts of the earth. They shall hold the bow and the lance. They were cruel and will not show mercy. Their voice shall roar like the sea, and they shall ride upon horses or military uh, machines. Everyone put in array like a man to the battle against you, O daughter of Babylon. We're a daughter of the Babylonian system. Now, who are all these people? They come from the north. Great nation, many kings from the coasts of the earth. It is a large conspiracy, a large coalition. Let's focus on that for a few moments. First of all, review chapter 50, verse 3, where it says, For out of the north there comes up a nation against her. It isn't the, those from the north apparently are in charge of the thing. But it includes many more peoples than that. Let's go back to Psalm 2 and verse 2. Psalm 2 and verse 2. We're going to begin to see where this is coming from. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? Words from the Messiah. The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. So Christ is the anointed, and those who are with him, those who are the prospective bride of Jesus Christ, are also anointed through baptism, through the laying on of hands, we are anointed to be the bride of Jesus Christ. Now think about it for a, for a moment. If you really want to hurt a man, what's the best way to do it? 
He's about to get married. Kill his bride. That'll get him. What Satan wants to do to Jesus Christ, kill his bride. Destroy every one of us. So this is the kings of the earth. And the rulers take counsel together. That is a conspiracy, is what that is, taking counsel together to destroy someone. Now let's go to Psalm 83. We'll begin to get more specific here as to who it is, who these kings of the earth are that will do this. And where are most of God's anointed? Again, to belabor that point, most of his anointed are in America. Who will be Satan's first and most important and primary target? America. Most of the people of God are in the church. When Satan is cast down, who does he come after first? The church, Revelation 12. He immediately comes to destroy the church. So he's behind this. Let's start in Psalm 83, verse 1. Keep not your silence, O God. Hold not your peace, and be not still, O eternal. For lo, your enemies make a tumult. God's enemies are making a big noise. <laughs> and they that hate you have lifted up the head. They raised themselves up, looked around, and tried to decide how to hurt God and his people. They have taken crafty counsel against your people and consulted against your hidden ones. The church primarily is today hidden from those who want to rule the world. It will not be hidden very long because Christ will set it as a light upon a hill and it will shine in the eyes of the world and they will hate it. He is going to at some point have to take the church to a place of safety and hide them so that they will not be physically destroyed. They have said, come, let us cut them off from being a people or a nation, that the name of Israel may be no more in remembrance. They want to cut off physical Israel, and certainly they want to cut off ultimately spiritual Israel. That is the mind of Satan behind it. Because he is more concerned about spiritual Israel and physical. Yes, he wants to destroy both. But he's more concerned about you and me than he is a general run of people around us. So he has two goals. Kill all Israelites and especially kill all spiritual Israelites. For well, they have consulted together with one consent. They are confederate against you, against God's people. The tabernacles of Edom, or Esau, we read in Genesis 27 that Esau will take preeminence over Jacob at the end. So they are one of the enemies, and in fact the first one mentioned here, because they have been working behind the scenes to destroy Jacob ever since Genesis 27. They are today among us, the Edomites, call themselves Jews and are not, who are behind the banking scene, who have been leaders of the Federal Reserve, Greenspan, Bernanke, and the Ishmaelites, half-brothers to us, Arabs, they're involved, of Moab and the Hagarenes, Gebal and Ammon, these are Arabic peoples, 
Moab and Ammon being probably Jordan, and Amalek, the Philistines, were the inhabitants of Tyre. The Philistines were traditionally along the coast of Israel, from Tyre down through Ashkelon and all those cities. And they are among us today. History suggests, or archaeology, that there may have been dark-haired and brown-skinned people. I wonder, I don't know this, but it makes me wonder if the Mexicans flooding in across our borders to destroy us might not have Butz and Philistia. I don't know that, just a thought. Asher also is joined with them. Asher was the god of the Assyrians. So you have a coalition here of Arabs primarily, and then you have Assyria joined in. They have helped the children of Lot, not the children of Abraham. All right, let's go to Isaiah 8. Isaiah 8. It mentions Assyria there at the end of that one. I want to pick this up. I don't like to find Isaiah 8. <clears throat> let's uh, go to verse 4. Isaiah 8, 4. For before the child, this is God had told Zechariah, uh, to go into the prophetess, and she conceived and bore a son and called his name Maher Shalal Hashbaz, which means spoil soon, pray, come quickly, or make haste to the spoil of the prey. So this is something that is going to come very quickly, and that's what this means. Verse 4, For before the child shall have knowledge to cry, my father and my mother, not even old enough, he says from the time that it's conceived, until this happens, if the baby will not be old enough to say daddy and mommy. The riches of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria, Samaria shall be taken away before the king of Assyria. Now, Damascus was Syria. Samaria represented the northern ten tribes. Well, this is against Israel that Assyria will come, and it's a prophecy for the end time. The Lord spoke also to me again, saying, For as much as this people refuse the waters of Shiloh that go softly and rejoice in Rezin and Remaliah, uh, and Remaliah's son, now therefore behold, the Lord brings upon them the waters of the river, Euphrates is where uh, the Assyrian kingdom was entrenched, strong and many, even the king of Assyria and all his glory. He'll pass through Judah. Then he tells them in verse 9, God throws a challenge. Associate yourselves, you people, or have a confederacy or a coalition is the modern word, and you shall be broken in pieces. Give ear, all you of far countries. Gird yourselves, and you shall be broken in pieces. So Assyria will destroy our land, or a coalition led by Assyria. The king of Assyria will come against Samaria and destroy it. God says then you'll have to fight him. Destroy America, you can destroy Israel, but then you have to fight me. He says, then, I won't read it all. Don't worry about the Confederacy, their coalition. If you're God's people and obey Him and have faith in Him, He will take care of you. Nation's going to be destroyed, but God's people will be protected. First, let's see. I want to go on uh, chapter 10. Of Isaiah. O Assyrian, the rod of my anger, I quoted that earlier, 
the staff in their hand is my indignation. So he'll give them the staff to walk over us. I will send him against a hypocritical nation and against the people of my wrath. It says in verse 7, he doesn't know it, but it is in his heart to destroy and cut off nations, not a few. Uh, let's see, there's a little more here, verse 12. Wherefore it shall come to pass that when the Eternal has performed his whole work upon Mount Zion and on Jerusalem, I will punish the fruit of the stout heart of the king of Assyria and the glory of his high looks. Verse 24. Therefore thus says the Eternal God of hosts, O my people that dwell in Zion, be not afraid of the Assyrian. He shall smite you with a rod and shall lift up his staff against you after the manner of Egypt. For yet a very little while, and the indignation shall cease, and my anger in their destruction. But don't fear them. I'm in charge. I'll take care of it. But they are certainly going to be involved in this. Now, if you look at the flow of uh, the end-time prophecies, the Assyrian is mentioned quite frequently. Let's go briefly here to Micah, book of Micah and the Minor Prophets, chapter 5. Well, chapter 4 is talking about the last days introduced. It talks about us in verses uh, 10, being pain and labor to bring forth, to produce righteousness, and to go to Babylon, dwell in the field, leave the city, and there we'll be delivered. And then it talks about our leadership, how God will cause us to arise and thresh, daughter of Zion, verse 13, for I'll make your horn iron, and I'll make your hooves brass, and he shall beat in pieces many people. So we are Zion today, the church, and God is going to give us two leaders, two witnesses, that he will give power over the Assyrian and over the nations of this world. They simply cannot hurt them. And if they do try, fire will come out of their mouths and destroy them. It'll be a real plague around their neck. Notice verse 5, and it's speaking of the witnesses here, and more men who are sent out as well, apparently. This man shall be the peace, verse 5, when the Assyrian shall come into our land, and when he shall tread in our palaces, then shall we raise against him seven shepherds and eight principal men, or leaders. They shall waste the land of Assyria with the sword, and he comes to tread within our borders. Verse 8, or verse 6, they shall lay waste the land of Assyrian with a sword. Thus shall he deliver us from the Assyrian when he comes into our land and when he treads within our borders. So this one's going to be on our ground. It's going to be where the church is, where Israel is today. And the Assyrian is coming into our land. Look at the book of Nahum. The burden of Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. Uh, he talks here Verse 7, the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows them that trust in him. So it is a burden against the Assyrian, but then he introduces that those people who obey God will have grace and favor in God's eyes, and he will protect them from the Assyrian. Verse 13, I will break his yoke from off you, and will burst your bonds asunder. For God is going to take care of us. Verse 15, Behold upon the mountains the feet of him that brings good tidings and that publishes peace. That's a quote from Isaiah 52, and it's talking about the two witnesses. O Judah, keep your solemn feast, perform your vows, 
for the wicked shall no more pass through you. He is utterly cut off. So this is a prophecy against the bloody city of Nineveh, the leader of the Syrian Empire. So they are very much in prominence in these end-time prophecies. Look at Zephaniah 2. Uh, Gather yourselves together, you undesirable people, that's us. And before the financial destruction or decree of it in Zephaniah 1 comes to pass, we're to gather ourselves and seek the eternal, verse 3, you meek of the earth, as opposite to the proud in our country, we are supposed to be meek. Seek righteousness, seek meekness. It may be you shall be hid in the day of the eternal's anger. If we're going to be hid, we must be righteous and meek. Not unrighteous and proud. But then he goes on to talk about the Philistines in verse 5. He goes on down to talk about Moab and Ammon in verse 8 and how they will be punished. And then verse 13 talks about Nineveh becoming a desolation and dry like a wilderness because these are the peoples who came against Israel and against God's people. So this is going to be a worldwide coalition of the kings of the earth. It is going to be led by a former king of the north, Assyria, and it will include these Islamic nations of the South. Now, they may go to war one against the other, as Daniel 11 may be pointing out, but in the meantime, they destroy a common enemy, us, U.S., us, <laughs> U.S. tells us. So I think that it is correct to say that the Assyrians will be in charge of it, it is a king of the north, but it is a coalition of many, many peoples who will join together against us. Now I want to go back to Jeremiah 50. Many kings shall be raised up from the coast of the earth, verse 41. But it is essentially coalition coming from the north. And basically that's where the New World Order leaders are, the bankers of Europe and those who have been transferred to America and empowered by the central banks of Europe. They're the ones behind it. And those are basically controlled by Edomites. The Rothschilds uh, badge is a red badge came from Esau, red man. And they're behind a lot of this. So Esau will have dominion over Jacob at the end. So they're very much a part of it. All right, let's go down to verse 43. We read 42 before. The king of Babylon has heard the report of them, and his hands waxed feeble. Anguish took hold of him, and pains as of a woman in travail. At some point, the king of Babylon, that is the president of the U.S., I would assume, who has shaken hands with these people behind the scenes and made a deal to destroy America, is suddenly going to realize that he is going to be betrayed and destroyed, he will melt in fear. The king of Babylon, the ram, I think, of Daniel 8, 
will have his horn broken. For the he goat will have his horn horn broken. Where was I reading here? Oh, uh, they, they took hold. Oh, he got afraid. Verse forty-three. Then speaking of the king of the north, who comes with that great coalition, behold, he shall come up like a lion from the swelling of Jordan to the habitation of the strong. Who's the strongest nation in the world today? We are the habitation of the strong militarily, economically, and culturally in that sense, because we export our unmoral, immoral culture around the world. Go around the world. Whose TV shows do you see? I've been on every continent and an awful lot of countries. You go into a hotel room and turn on the TV, you'll see American programs. Anywhere you go, occasionally you'll see a locally made program. But it's American TV around the world. We control military, economically, and morally, culturally. We are Babylon. So he comes up like a lion from the swelling of Jordan to the habitation of the strong. But I will make them suddenly run away from her, and who is a chosen man that I may appoint over her, or who is like me? Uh, the Revised Standard makes that a little clearer. It says, who can stand against God? basically what he's trying to phrase here. Do they, think, do they have anyone who can stand against me? Who will appoint me the time? And who is that shepherd that will stand before me or against me? Who, who can stand up, all you leaders of the world, against God? He says he's going to destroy Babylon, and it's going to happen. Therefore, hear you the counsel of the eternal, that he has taken against Babylon and his purposes that he has purposed against the land of the Chaldeans. Uh, surely the least of the flock shall draw them out. I think that's a poor translation. I checked several. And the upshot of it is, it should say something like, her little ones are dragged away. Children are taken into captivity. Surely he shall make their habitation desolate with them. At the noise of the taking of Babylon, the earth is moved and the cry is heard among the nations. Now that reflects Revelation 17 and 18 <coughs> about how the merchants of the earth will cry because the richness and the wealth that they have accrued as a result of our spending will be taken away. All right, let's go into chapter 51. Thus says the eternal... Behold, I will raise up against Babylon and against them that dwell in the midst of them that rise up against me a destroying wind. Wind represents trouble to come. There were, what, 23 people in the Mideast, middle Midwest of this nation killed by tornadoes the other day, and then about 11 killed yesterday in Tennessee again. Most of them have all died in Tennessee this last week. <coughs> But God is going to send a destroying army, a destroying wind, and will send unto Babylon fanners that shall fan her and shall empty her land. What does a fan do? It blows. It blows away. So they'll fan our fannies and empty our land. For in the day of trouble they shall be against her round about. 
Against him that bends, let the archer bend his bow, and against him that lifts, him, lifts himself up in his brigandine, and spare you not her young men, destroy you utterly all her hosts. So God commissions a coalition of nations worldwide to come and destroy us. <clears throat> Thus the, the slain shall fall in the land of the Chaldeans, and they that are thrust through in her streets. Well, we as a people are not Chaldeans, are we? And yet... God says in Ezekiel 16 that when he looks down, we look like Gentiles to him. And he calls us a great whore, which he calls us again in the book of Revelation. Verse 5, For Israel has not been forsaken, nor Judah of his God, of the Lord of hosts, though their land was filled with sin against the Holy One of Israel. Now God says he's going to destroy this nation, but he says he's going to remember Israel even though it was the land was filled with sin. But where is a land filled with sin that is Israelitish that has a Babylonian government ruling over it? None other than right here. So what does he tell us to do? Verse 6, for those who have ears to hear and eyes to see, listen, listen up. Here's what God says. Flee out of the middle of Babylon and deliver every man his soul. Be not cut off in her iniquity. That's essentially quoted in Revelation 18.4. Depart from her, depart from her you be not partakers of her sins and her plagues. Those plagues come as a result of sin. And if we live in the middle of a Babylonian culture and imbibe of it and sin with it, we will suffer the plague as well. God gives opportunity to flee out of the midst of it and not be cut off in that iniquity. For this is the time of the eternal's vengeance. He will render unto her a recompense. Notice, though, that it is contingent upon getting rid of sin. It does not do any good to flee from Babylon if you retain your sins. Because this punishment is coming, why? Because of our national and personal sins. That's why it's coming. So if you think that you can flee and save your moldy hide and continue in your sin, you will be sadly disillusioned, surprised, and disappointed. You and I have not fled out of the cities of Babylon and come out here in this desert wilderness to save our hides without doing something. We came here to establish a godly place to get rid of our sins, get rid of the influence of Babylon. And if we just come here to save ourselves and don't do those things that are necessary that would cause God to count us as worthy, we're going to die anyway. I'll guarantee you that. The scripture does. Uh, 
because he will render a recompense. Babylon has been a golden cup in the Lord's hand that made all the earth drunk. We've seduced the entire world. Golden cup of wine. The riches, and that's what wine represents, is riches. Poor people didn't have wine to drink. <coughs> Only the wealthy had wine to drink. Now, that's not true in our country today. Anybody can drink wine. But traditionally and historically, that was the case. If you could afford wine, you were wealthy. And we have been wealthy, and we have offered that glass of wine and seduced the whole world with political whoredoms, military whoredoms. The nations have drunk of her wine, therefore the nations are mad, they're crazy, they're wild, they're angry when they see her fall. That's what Revelation 18 is about. I'll stand back and cry and bewail, but suddenly the markets are dried up. It says it will come suddenly in one day in Revelation 18, 17 or 18, I think it's 18. So they're going to have their ships lined up out there bringing goods from China and Japan and from oil from the Middle East. And suddenly, we will be destroyed, and they won't have any market. They'll have those full ships sitting out in the ocean and no place to go because the American consumerism is gone. No way to get rich from us anymore. Who could this be describing other than us? There is no other nation on earth that even comes close. Even the world recognizes we are the marketplace of the world. We are allowing the Chinese now to build houses and condos and buy cars. People who could not do so 10 years ago are now doing so. We are making all the earth wealthy by our mad use of our credit cards, spending ourselves crazy. Babylon is suddenly fallen and destroyed, verse 8. Howl for her. Take balm for her pain, if so be she may be healed. Now, who is this written to? Jeremiah is writing this to Israel. Isn't that who he addressed at the beginning of the book? He's talking to us here. He's addressed it to Israel, so when he says to howl for her and take balm for her pain, if so be she may be healed. He's writing to us, why would I care, if I'm a Jew or an Israelite, truly, if someplace in ancient Iran or Iraq is destroyed? Why would I care? As an American, I basically wouldn't, unless it was just a little bit of human compassion for the destruction of someone else. But he is writing this, he is addressing Israelites and telling them to feel her pain. It's our people. It's our nation. We should feel the pain. <clears throat> we would have healed Babylon, but she is not healed. Haven't we all had that emotion? Wouldn't we like to see our nation healed? Wouldn't we like to see a just and righteous government? Wouldn't we like to see a just and righteous 
Church, wouldn't we like to see sin and crime gone? Wouldn't we like to see peace and happiness? Wouldn't we like to see an end to racial turmoil, which is increasing, by the way? Wouldn't we like to see our country healed? Yes, we would. We love it. But hopefully we don't love what it has become. God loves sinners. Hates sin. He sent his only begotten son to save the world from sin. <clears throat> so he doesn't hate people. He hates what people do. And we don't hate Israel. We don't hate our people. We don't hate our country that God gave us. But hopefully we hate the sin around us and in us. We would have healed Babylon, but she is not healed. Forsake her. And let us go everyone into his own country. For her judgment reaches up into heaven and is lifted up even to the skies. So we would have healed Babylon. And all of those people that are coming from various countries around the world on a physical basis would have liked to see Babylon healed. It says you better go right back where you came from. This country is going under. You came from Mexico or Japan or China or South Africa or wherever you came from. If you came here to live the American dream, it's going poof. It's going to be gone. <clears throat> go back where you came from. But now what is God doing? The eternal has brought forth our righteousness. Isaiah 54 says our righteousness will not be of ourselves. It will be of him. He will bring forth our righteousness. Got to be talking to the church here. Come and let us declare in Zion the work of the Lord our God. God is going to do a work. And that work is going to start about the time that Babylon is destroyed. A different work than what we have understood and seen in the past. We saw a calling work under Herbert Armstrong whereby many were called. Now few are being chosen with him dead and that calling essentially complete. A few will be called at the 11th hour, but the calling is basically done and he's working with this generation, this group of people. And he will start a new work, the building of the latter temple and the witness against the world of Revelation 11 and Zechariah 3 and 4. That's the work that is to be done next. And it is brought out here in connection with the destruction of Babylon and letting us declare it in Zion. <clears throat> Zion is the church, Hebrews 12, 22 and 23, and Zion, I believe, will be a particular place of refuge for God's people and where the two witnesses will work out of. That is the work at the end. And when that work is done, the end will come. Herbert Armstrong finished his work. The end did not come. But with two witnesses finish this work that God is talking about in verse 10, the end will come. Resurrection comes three and a half days later. Make bright the arrows, gather the shields. The eternal has raised up the spirit of the kings of the Medes, for his device is against Babylon to destroy it. So he mentions the Assyrian, he mentions the king of the north, now he talks about the Medes. The Medes and Persians were the ones who 
historically destroyed Babylon and took over with King Darius. Medes and the Persians today want to find them, look toward Iran, look toward the old Babylonian Empire, Iraq and Iran. They're going to be very much part and parcel with this, and I think that after we attack Iran, which I think is a sure thing now, uh, we will get our own horn broken. That's what Daniel 8 is telling us. So he will raise up the spirit of the kings of the Medes, for his devices against Babylon to destroy it, because it is the vengeance of the Lord, the vengeance of his temple. Who do the Islamic peoples hate the most on this earth? Russia? Germany? Zimbabwe? China? Who is the great Satan in their minds? The United States. This is the country that they are going to rise up against. It is the country that they are currently rising up against. This is not just prophecy, brethren. This is current events. This is what's going on as we sit here today. This is what is going on in their minds. They are planning feverishly to destroy the great Satan, America. God says they will be involved, very much involved. Verse 12, set up the standard upon the walls of Babylon. Make the watch strong. Set up the watchmen. Prepare the ambushes, for the Eternal has both devised and done that which he spoke against the inhabitants of Babylon. It's simply going to happen. O you that dwell upon many waters, abundant in treasures, your end is come, and the measure of your covetousness. Now, waters explained in the book of Revelation very clearly as being peoples. We are a, people, a nation that dwell upon many peoples. We influence their culture. We influence their economies. We influence their politics. We try to spread democracy, whatever that may be, to other places in the world. We sit on many, or dwell upon, many waters. It is a world-ruling empire. Abundant in treasures. Wealthiest nation that has ever been on the face of the earth. All about to come to an end. Your end is come, and the measure of your covetousness. Covetousness is illegal desire. We are a nation that is founded on materialism and covetousness. We lie, we cheat, we steal, we do dirty business. We try to take from others. We try to cheat others. We try to pay them less than what they deserve. Or we try to get more from them than we deserve. We are so engrossed in our covetousness that it's dog-eat-dog dog out there. And there is no such thing as ethics in business anymore. There's no such thing as honesty anymore. We're a nation hell-bent on being wealthy. 
That is the measure of our covetousness. God says it's all coming down. All those things we desired and coveted and were willing to do anything to obtain will be taken away. Is it any wonder that Christ said that for the wealthy man to enter the kingdom of God is like a camel going through the eye of a needle? Try that sometime. Buy yourself a fine camel. Get yourself a needle. You can get a fairly large one if you want. You try pulling that camel through the eye of that needle. God says that's how hard it is for a rich to enter the kingdom of God. Oh, I know I've read the small gate that was short, hard to get camels through. But that's the analogy he uses. We are a wealthy nation. We are rich. Now, you may not consider yourself rich, but based upon the general level of wealth in this world, if you have a house and you have a car and you have three meals a day, you are wealthy. Very wealthy. We are a wealthy nation. The rest of the world is jealous and insanely mad over our wealth. And they will do anything to get it. But because we have sought wealth and treasures rather than God, we are going to be destroyed. So he brings it down here to our incoming as a measure of our covetousness. Not supposed to seek the riches of this world, but seek God with our whole heart. Just be content with food and clothes. Be content. Don't covet or lust for things that will turn you away from God. That's what we have done as a nation. I think I'll quit there. We're almost time to stop, so that seems a good thought to stop on. Why we're going down why we should not be a part of that and be sure that we are humble and meek before God rather than proud, proud of wealth, proud of what we have, think that it came from ourselves. It came from God in the first place, and since we have dwelt on it and made it our God, the real God has to destroy our God. This nation trusts in money and wealth and put it on its currency the wrong God, that God has to be removed. God has no choice. Our Heavenly Father has no choice. He will destroy our idols. Our idols are our wealth. That's at least one of our biggest ones. So it's got to go. It's got to go soon. Financial crash is building up. It can't be too far away. Not when you're as many trillions of dollars in debt as we are and everyone trying Find a way to destroy the great Satan. Can't be far away. We better be prepared, be ready spiritually. That's where it really counts.